the second reading is from Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 12, and that can be found on page 891 of your Black Bibles. Do not judge so that you won't be judged, for with the judgment you use, you will be judged, and with the measure you used, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and look, there is a log in your eye? Hypocrite. First take the log out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to the dogs, or toss your pearls before pigs or they will trample them with their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. Keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep searching and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who searches finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. What man among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. This is the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Selena. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. Lovely to see you. Uh, the Bible got a stern warning in the book of James, and it said that uh, not many should have assumed to be teachers, because they'd be judged more harshly. And I have to say, tonight's one of those sermons where I feel like as I preach this sermon, there's a kind of a, a word on my head saying hypocrite. It's one of those sermons where you know what the Bible says but often I fail to do it. And I'm assuming that's the same with you as we look at this chapter tonight. Uh, Jesus has some extraordinary words in verse 12. He says, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. They're great words, aren't they? There's a golden rule of relationships. Treat other people the way that you'd want to be treated. I'm guessing we want to be treated with respect and with kindness, don't we? Uh, And Jesus said, well, do you treat other people with respect and kindness? We want to be treated with honesty. (laughs) So do you treat other people with honesty? If you're a Christian man or woman here tonight, I'm assuming that you want your brothers and sisters to to correct error in your life, but, but gently, not harshly. But the question is, do you correct other, other people's errors harshly or, or gently? Uh, Jesus says, treat other people the way that you want other people to treat you. It's what the law and the prophets sum up. You know, love your neighbor. What's the next two words? Love your neighbor as yourself. 
as you would like to be loved, so you must love other people. And I want to suggest that Jesus' words here really do radically change the way we, we relate to each other. When you apply this verse, chapter 7, verse 12, it changes everything. I remember being in a Bible study, what, 22 years ago? as a young Christian, been a Christian about five years. And my Bible study leader took me out for a drink one night after Bible study. I'd just been a Christian for a few years. And he just talked about the way that I shared information about other people. And just very gently said, that, why do you share so much information about other people? Now, is it genuine or is it just gossip? And he was right. But, you know, the way that he did it was so kind and so loving. And I just left there saying, thank you so much for correcting me so gently. This beautiful example of how to do it well. And I'm guessing that we've all had the example of the opposite when it's been done badly. The harsh, critical, judgmental, judging words. I know so many people here have been hurt by Christians who have been critical and harsh and judgmental. I do call Church by the Bridge a hospital for hurting Christians. And it is true. So many Christian men and women have a head full of God's word, but they don't have a heart for God's people that is kind and gentle and loving. And so people come in heavy-handed, Speaking the truth, yes, but there's no love. And yeah, we're often blind to our own failures. I read this week about a father who asked his teenage son, a Christian father who asked his teenage son, son, what puts people off Christianity? And the teenager said, it's the way that Christians treat each other. And he's right. Uh, this passage in Matthew chapter 7 is not talking away about the way that Christians treat people in the world. There's a whole new sermon there. As though Christians feel the right to speak into every particular issue and condemn people very quickly. He's talking about here in church the way that some Christians feel they have the right to judge people. And treat people so harshly. Our brothers and sisters in Christ, people who have been one with the same blood of Jesus Christ. See, our world watches the way that we relate, and the world says, you are hypocrites. Jesus said, whatever you want people to do to you, do also for them. I've got two points tonight. Here's the first one. Be slow to judge others, but be quick to judge yourself. Be slow to judge other people. Don't you hate it when people judge you or they're harsh towards you, often without information, often without the facts? That's what Jesus is talking about here. Uh, nine years ago when, when Rachel and I were dating, a, a single mum <laughs> dating a pastor of a church, and everybody had an opinion and everyone jumped to wrong conclusions. And yeah, people even wrote to the Archbishop, raising questions about our relationship. Without the facts, without the information. And I remember being so outraged by that, thinking, how dare they? 
And it's like God pointing the finger back at me and say, but Paul, you do that all the time. You look at somebody and you just judge without the true facts and without the true information. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Do not judge, he says in verse 1, so that you won't be judged. Now that verse does not mean that we don't correct sin in the church. Of course we correct sin in the church. And it doesn't mean that we don't address false teachers on their errors. Verse 15 says, beware of the false prophets. It doesn't mean that we can't criticize anybody or anything. And it certainly doesn't mean that we're these all-forgiving, all-accepting, cuddly teddy bears that tolerate all kinds of wrong behaviors in the church and never challenge anybody. It's not saying that. The idea behind do not judge is do not be critical, fault-finding, nitpicking, whinging, harsh, and judgmental. And that's what the Pharisees were like. These smug, religious, hypocritical people sitting on their high and lofty position, looking around and going, shocking, isn't it? That's what Jesus is condemning here, that judgmental attitude, that critical fault-finding. And I'm sure you know I'm talking about. If you've been in church for five minutes, you know I'm talking about they're the people who always have such strong opinions and they're always right. Or the people who always assume the, the worst possible motives and shoot off an email without knowing the facts or badmouth someone without the information. Or then just the nitpickers that whinge all the time about everything and everybody. The people who seem to have the, the spiritual gift of nitpicking. It's not a spiritual gift. And Jesus is saying here, yeah, be discerning. Be very discerning and yes, correct error, but please don't, don't be divisive and destructive. There's a very fine line there between correct judging and self-righteous judgmentalism. And Jesus gives us two reasons why. Firstly, that God is a judge, not us. He says in verse 2, with the judgment you use, you will be judged by God himself. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Remember that there's a God in heaven, a God on his throne, and God is the boss and not you. Uh, we can quickly put ourselves on the throne, can't we? We can act like God in the way that we treat people. But what's the difference between God and us? The difference is that we just see the externals. But God sees everything. He sees the internals. He sees the motivation. He sees the circumstances. See, one of the reasons that we don't judge quickly is because we don't know history and we don't know the background and we don't know the circumstances and we don't know the motives. You can't see people's hearts. James 4 says this, Don't criticize one another, brothers. He who criticizes a brother or judges his brother criticizes the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and one judge who's able to save and to destroy. So who are you to judge your neighbor? You're not God, he says. And remember, God is your judge and he sees the way that you treat people. 
So yes, God is judged, not us. And the second reason is, is that we are sinners too. Work on your own sin first, says Jesus, before you start to correct other people. And what Jesus is saying here is that you should know your own failures and your own sins better than anybody else's. Uh, you've heard that phrase, people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. And Jesus is saying, take a look at the log in your own eye before you start to remove the speck from somebody else's. It struck me this week, we are, we are so good at magnifying the sins in other people and minimizing the sins in our own life. And we can have such a high view of ourselves and a low view of other people. And the classic case is when there's a disagreement between two people and you sit there and you're blind to your part and you're always focusing on what they did wrong. I love this quote, we turn a microscope on other people's sin, but we look at our own sin through the wrong end of the telescope. If you ever wonder whether God has a sense of humor, verses three to six say, yes, he does. And you're supposed to imagine Jesus smiling and giggling as he talks about this man with a plank in an eye who walks into a church lobby trying to find a man with a speck to remove it. He says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, verse 3, but you don't notice a log in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and look, there's a log in your own eye? Hypocrite, he says. First, take the log out of your eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus is just saying then, look at your own sin first. Instead of focusing on all these tiny, small offenses in other people, look at your own sin. Look at your own logs. And you know, it's kind of give you a little example. So if someone walks into church late and you're going, they're always late. Without questioning why they might be late. Or someone hasn't been at church for a while or misses your hive group for three weeks in a row. And rather than going, oh, they're so slack and they're wandering, if you picked up the phone to find out why they might be late or why they're wandering. And instead of pointing out impatience in other people, go, Lord, actually, I've got my own catalogue of sins. I struggle with my words. I'm harsh. I'm prone to gossip. I struggle with impu impurities. So rather than focusing on specks and other people, spend time with your God and get him into a log in your own eye. I have to say, sometimes we need other people to point out the logs because we're often blind to our own sin, aren't we? Or with King David in 2 Samuel chapter 12. King, King David had committed adultery with Bathsheba, got her pregnant, uh, lied, murdered Bathsheba's wife, uh, uh, Bathsheba's husband rather, Uriah, and he's totally blind to his sin. And Nathan the prophet comes to him and tells this story about these, these two people, the rich man with lots of lambs, a poor man with one, one little lamb, and this poor man with one little lamb loved that lamb so much, like a daughter, it says. But the rich man has a guest, and he won't slaughter his own lamb, so he takes the poor man's lamb and slaughters that poor man's lamb. He uses his power and his position. And David's response is, he deserves to die. Log, log, log. And Nathan says, you are that man. 
And Jesus says to us tonight, friends, we are very good spec inspectors. We, better be, we need to be better log inspectors. Take the log out your own eye first. Deal with your sin before you start to point out the sin of others. So why do we do this? Why, why are we good at spec inspecting? I do wonder whether it makes us feel good pointing out the errors in other people just to deflect the problem with ourselves. Or, or maybe just avoiding the hard work of digging out the sin in our own life because that can be painful. I love the example uses of the eye because the eye is so sensitive, isn't it? You know, if you've got a bit of grit in your eye, you really feel it. You know, and it's so delicate to remove it. You need to be very careful and gentle and patient. And, and Jesus says here, removing a log from your own eye, it's not going to be painless. It's going to be painful. The Spirit doesn't change us without a bit of pain, a bit of hard work. But work on your log. List the sins in your life. List the areas that you want to work on. Spend time with God, pleading with Him, praying to get rid of those things in your life, to cleanse you and transform you. And only then can you help other people. You know that moment on a plane, and, and, and I know no one ever listens to this, but before a plane takes off, the air stewards say, you know, in the event of an accident, oxygen mask will, will descend. And what do they say next? Put on your own mask before you help somebody else. I think Jesus is saying here, put on your own mask of your logs. Get rid of your logs first before you start to help other people. And remember, we're not just dealing with eyes, are we? We're dealing with souls. We're dealing with men and women, brothers and sisters in Christ. And the damage done by heavy-handed, harsh-worded judgmentalism can be catastrophic. So I, I don't know what logs you need to remove. Lying, gossip, greed, jealousy, pride, pornography, whatever it is. Deal with your sin. You know when a church is often shocked when a, a pastor falls, <laughs> often sexually? And what often happens is that you look back over previous sermons that that pastor has preached and you often find that they talk most about the things that they struggle with most. And I don't know what you struggle with most, but before you try and help other people, please help yourself. Now don't, don't mishear me. We need to be spec inspectors as well. Of course we need to correct error in the church. It is loving, it is right, it is godly to walk alongside a brother and a sister and say, do you, need, do you know that you do this? This needs to change. This is not right. It's the way that you do it. A.W. Pink says this. If I really have my brother's welfare at heart, then love itself requires that I wink not at his sins, but endeavor to save him from them. Gently, patiently, with kindness. But just as much as it would demand me warning him when I perceive the first whisper smoke 
from his window, why wait till his house be half burned down before giving the alarm? When you spot it, you deal with it. But the way that you deal with it matters. And why you're dealing with it also matters. So how do you confront error in a brother or sister? Do it gently. Do it privately. Begin with words like, you know, could I share something that concerns me? I, I might have misunderstood you. I might be wrong on this. Don't come in harshly. And always pray with them. But remember, not everyone's going to like it. Verse 6 is a weird verse. It's unusual, but he's basically saying, people won't like it when you correct them even gently. He says, don't give what is holy to the dogs or toss what your pearls before pigs. Or they will trample them with their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. Now, when Jesus talks about dogs, he's not talking about man's best friends or the cute pet. He's talking about the unclean, despised animals that run around savaging people. And the pigs were not sort of the, the, the babe, little pig, but unclean, nasty little animals. And Jesus is saying, don't throw holy temple food to dogs and don't give your precious pearls to pigs. He's saying there are people that are like dogs and pigs and they won't like hearing the truth. They won't like hearing correction about their sin, even gently. They might trample on you. Some people can't handle the truth no matter how gently you try and correct them. So I want to ask you, do you want to be helpers of your brothers and sisters' faith or just a critic of their faults? Billy Graham says that it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict and God's job got God's job to judge, but our job is just to lovingly and gently and patiently help, warn, and correct. We are not God, but do it gently. And number two, pray persistently for your own spiritual growth. There's a link between verses six and verse seven. There's no heading in the original, just one verse close to the next. So he's talked about not being harsh and not being critical and not being a hypocrite. He says, well, pray about your spiritual life. Keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep searching and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be opened. Now, verse 7 is not name it and claim it theology. He's not saying God is your heavenly slot machine. Ask whatever you want and he'll give it to you. What he is saying here is that if you've got a particular log in your own eye that you want help dealing with, well, run to God and ask him to help you. And if you want clarity over to how to deal with sin in other people's lives, run to God, ask, seek, and knock him for help there. And Jesus is kind of saying it is unthinkable that we would even try and be spec inspectors without coming to the Lord in prayer and seeking his wisdom and guidance. It's unthinkable that we begin to work on our own godliness, thinking we do it by ourselves without running to God for guidance. It's unthinkable that you would approach anybody without first seeking the Lord in prayer. If you're in our, uh, my household, or any time between 5.30 a.m. and 8.30 a.m. before school, we just hear these voices going, Dad, Dad, Mom, Mom, Dad, 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 Dad. And my kids are just 
badgering me and asking me incessantly. Why do they do that? Because they want help. They keep asking, they keep searching, they keep knocking. That's what Jesus is saying here, that don't ask once, keep asking and keep searching and keep knocking and pray persistently. And it's so funny, I think we do pray persistently for our physical wants and our physical needs. If you're sick, you keep praying for health, don't you? What about your soul? Are you persistent in praying for your soul? Are you persistent in praying, dear Lord, I'm asking and I keep asking to have more of a forgiving spirit. I keep asking to have this hard heart soften. I keep asking for a greater gift of reconciliation and patience and kindness. And I keep asking for the power to, to resist that temptation to sin. I keep asking for a taming of my tongue. I keep asking for these things, Lord, that will make me more like Jesus. That's the concept of these verses. He's not saying, ask for a bigger house and you'll get it, and ask for a better car, you'll get it. He's saying, pray for your soul, pray for your spiritual life, because you need help. You've got a log in your eye, you need God's help to remove it. And the promise is there in verse 7, it will be given to you. You will find, it will be opened. In verse 8, Everyone who asks receives, the one who searches finds, the one who knocks the door will be opened. There's a confidence and a certainty here that this prayer will be answered. Now God doesn't promise to answer every prayer you pray, does he? Well, he does, but not with the answer that you want. But he does promise if you keep praying for your soul and keep praying for your spiritual life, he will be at work in you to make you more like Jesus. God is in the business of refining us and maturing us and helping us get, get rid of our logs and replacing it with more of, the, of a Christ-likeness. So why do you keep asking? It's down there in verse 11. We keep asking because God is our, our Father in heaven who gives good things to those who ask. See, God is a father, a father who hears and a father who cares. He is not cruel. He's not nasty. He's not vindictive. He's not judgmental. He's a good, good father who gives his children good gifts. And the contrast there is that if an earthly father, if a son asks for bread, he he won't give him a stone. If he asks for a fish, he won't give him a snake. And you've got to understand that, that the, the bread was, was flat bread and the stones looked like bread and the, the fish were almost like eels. They were long like a snake. And he's saying you know, it, it's really easy to mix these two things up, but an earthly father gives bread and fish, not a stone and snake. So how much more will your father in heaven give you good things if you ask? So why do my kids keep on badgering me saying, Dad, 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 Dad? Because they know that I love them. I know that I want to give them what is best for them. Not what they ask, but what's best for them. And when we pray about our souls, we pray about our logs and our speck inspecting, our God in heaven wants to give us what is good and what is best. My wife often pulls me up on this. 
you know, I'm ranting and I'm raging and I'm stressing and I'm going, oh, yeah. And she just says, Paul, have you prayed about this? And that simple phrase, it just sort of gets me every time. Have I prayed about this? No, I haven't. So I want to ask you, when it comes to your logs and your sins, have you prayed about it? Have you prayed for God to reveal the sin in your life and the logs in your eyes? Have you prayed for the Spirit's help to resist that particular sin, that particular temptation? Have you prayed for the Spirit to refine you in those areas? And have you prayed for the Spirit to help you to see other people with gentleness and with kindness and with compassion rather than harsh and critical and judgmental. See how much richer and deeper and beautiful our church might be if we asked, seeked, and knocked more often. So I'll ask you again, how do you want other people to treat you? Jesus said, what, what you want other people to do for you, you do the same for them. Do you want people to treat you harshly? Do you want people to be critical of you and judgmental of you and condemn you? Of course you don't. But rather than pointing the finger at them, let God point the finger back at you and say, okay, that's what you want. How about you start with yourself? See, I told you it was a hard sermon to preach. It's a good sermon though. What you want people to do for you you do to them. Let me pray.